It's a question we ask quite a bit, isn't it? Um, God, where are you? And especially it comes in our time of struggle when things are tough, you know. We're going to answer that a little bit more uh, in just a moment. Before we do, Sarah Fischel, uh, wherever you are, Sarah, would you come up here just for a moment? Uh, we have been talking about a mission initiative for 2018 where we'll be restructuring our 1030 children's ministry. And we are excited about that. Uh, with this mission initiative, we had over 40 people sign up specifically to help in our children's ministry area at that 1030 hour. We had six people sign up with interest in the children's ministry director position. And all of them were outstanding. And after our interviews with individuals, um, the elder board, as well as those interviewers of Sarah Fischel, recommended her for our new children's ministry director position. And I want to introduce her to you as East Bay Calvary's new children's ministry director. Welcome, young lady. Some of the beauty of this is there, there's people who are all in no matter what, and I love this because even those that we interviewed with, um, they were even open saying, you know what, if I don't get this director position, I'm still in, like count me in. And we have um, about 40 more people to get in touch with, and that's going to be Sarah's job over the next couple of weeks. It's connecting with our church people to get us all in, discussing this and preparing this because, gang, we've, we've got about... Uh, a little over two months to make this thing happen. So no pressure, no pressure at all. This is the woman you need to be praying for over these next days and weeks ahead. And when you get an email from her or a phone call from her, your answer is, sure, I'll do it. Okay, yeah, you like that. Okay, just prepping them for you, Sarah. So blessings on you. Thank you so much. We're excited uh, for her being with us. You can, you can go back. She's actually, yeah. She's actually been serving downstairs during this hour, and, um, and we're grateful for uh, those that freed her up to be able to be up with us. Here's the other thing, and that is, uh, you know, welcome to the jungle. Um, this is really an amazing set, and we're just getting started. I think you know our mission is not more and better hunters, and it's not more and better children's games either. It's more and better disciples. That's what we're all about. And so we're praying that through our children's ministry, we want kids to love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want that for your kids. We want that for your grandkids. We want that for your neighbor kids. And that's why we're doing this. And, and we don't just want to give out helpful hints to hunters or give away new guns. We want them to really sense the presence of Jesus is what they need to transform their life and their home. And, and so be praying with us. And I want to encourage you, if you are bringing someone to this, and we encourage you to do that, uh, bring a friend and, and pay for them and, and have them be a part of this. And if you've already done that, we want you to know, as we've discussed in the past, you are God's outreach strategy to reach your world. And we want you to be thinking about follow-up with them. If you invited them, uh, the best person to follow up on them is you. You invite them then to church coming back. Or you connect with them during the week to encourage them in their personal life. But uh, you already have a relationship with them. Keep that up. And we want to encourage that to happen 
even after the sportsman's game dinner and banquet. We, we invite you to be doing that, and we're going to be praying for you uh, with that. So grab your copy of the scriptures, if you would, and turn to the book of Esther. If you have a Bible like mine, it is page 469. Um, if you do not, then open your Bible about halfway, and we've been mentioning this is the easiest way to find it. Open about halfway, and you'll probably come out to somewhere near Proverbs or Psalms. And what you need to do, wherever you turn in there, Proverbs or Psalms or Job, just take a left-hand turn. Esther is right before the book of Job. And it is a book with very special significance for you and for me, with what we are going through in our lives. And I've been thinking this week, and I propose it to you to think about it with me, just how in control are we? You ever think about that? Really? Just how in control, how free is our will? And you'll probably find different answers from people in different circumstances. You know, you think of the businessman who is right now, his business is taking off, he's profiting in so many big ways. He'll probably be leaning toward, you know what? I'm in control. I make the big decisions. This is happening because I've been able to tweak different things and be at the helm. And so he might lean a little bit more that way. Then you think about the person, the woman who may be going to surgery for a brain tumor, and, and she's going to be saying, you know what? I really don't feel terribly in control. I feel like things are out of my control at this point. I think probably some of the answer about how in control we are, how much free will is there, how much divine sovereignty is there, probably some of that hinges on the reality of our personal situation. And this has been a hot topic debated for millennia. And it will be debated until we get to heaven. And then that's when everyone else finds out that we were right. A um, group of theologians were discussing this very issue of predestination and free will. And this argument just got heated. And, and these people split up into two different groups. And, and one man was unable to make up his mind which group to join and so he slipped into the predestination group, and they're there talking, and, and they said, whoa, why are you here? And he said, well, I, I came of my own free will. And the predestination group said, get out of here. You don't come because of your free will. Go to the other group. That's where you belong. And so he goes over to the free will group, and, and they said, how come you're here? And he says, well, I was sent here. They said, get out of here. You can't come unless it's of your own free will. <laughs> well, despite how we may feel at times, there are things that come our way that are just completely out of our control. They were never on our radar. We never predicted this ever coming. It's kind of like the popular meme that is traveling around right now on the internet. Maybe you've seen it. It's about the prophecy class. It says prophecy class is canceled due to circumstances that were unforeseen. You ever have that happen to you? I never saw this coming. Maybe you've said it. I've said it. This isn't what I signed up for. 
Last week we saw a rich and powerful king, Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, and his wife, Queen Vashti, and Xerxes showed off his wealth for six months. Maybe you remember how this account went from last week. At the end of it, he wined and dined the numerous princes and leaders, and then he wanted to show off his wife, Vashti, and said, come on out, I want these guys to see your beauty. And we don't know exactly what that entailed, if he wanted her to expose herself to them. But either way, we knew that it was going to be a very poorly morally charged environment because she was walking in with a whole bunch of drunk men. And the only reason why she was there is so that way they could oogle and view her beauty. And you can imagine the styling of the environment that that was going to be. And so she did a hashtag me too moment, said, I have nothing to do with this. I'm not going out there. And then the king said, okay, you want to try that on me? You're no longer queen. The end. And not only that, Jewish tradition tells us most likely she was even executed. And so now we come to the end of chapter one, and let's just follow this together here. We come to the end of chapter one, and I want you to see some timing of how these things work out. If you, if you look first of all, though, at verse three of chapter one, look there with me. Here's the first inkling to the time frame of events. If you notice verse 3 in chapter 1, it says, And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet, that Xerxes gave a banquet for all of his nobles and officials. And so catch this, this was in the third year of his reign. Now let's find out where we are in chapter 2. So take a moment and look at chapter 2, verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16, and we're going to find out that a few years have passed. It says, she, speaking of Esther, was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. So the very first inclination of the time frame was the third year of his reign, and now we are in the seventh year of his reign. So between chapter one and chapter two, four years have passed. That way you can catch this time frame. Four years have passed, and so you wonder, what happened in four years? Well, I'm going to tell you what happened in those four years. The reason why the king was juicing all of these nobles and princes up at the beginning, he wanted them to be on board with him going out to conquer Greece. And so he stepped out with all of these nobles and princes and their armies, said, let's go conquer Greece. Well, they got thumped in that attempted conquest, and then they came back home. So in between those four years, that's exactly what happened. They tried, they failed, they came back home, and now the king's like, you know what? I haven't had a queen for a while. Enter Esther, chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Stand with me, would you? I'm going to read this for you, verses 1 through 9. Just going to give you a little bit of context of what's going on. We're going to see some understandings about Esther. We're going to talk about it. And then I really want you to understand that there's five ways we can deal with events that we never saw coming in our lives. Okay, five ways I want to give to you. Let's talk about this. Verse 1 through 9 of chapter 2. I'll read this for you. Just follow along in your copy of the scriptures. It says, Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. 
Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shimei, son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her to seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. So have a seat. Keep your finger there in Esther chapter 2. There's a main idea that I pray comes out loud and clear at the end of our study, but first let me mention a few things about Esther. If you have your study guide with you this morning there in the back of your um, East Bay Weekly, you're going to have some notes to walk down through with us and even a little ample space for you to mention something else that sticks out to you this morning. Here's a few things about Esther specifically. Number one, that first blank that you have there, this isn't translated in your and my uh, copy of the scriptures, but Esther, the name Esther means star. It means star, and her Jewish name is Hadassah. Hadassah in the Hebrew language would actually be translated or understood in our language as Myrtle. But Esther was her Persian name, which is probably after a Persian deity, and it means star, and isn't that an awesome meaning for her name? Here she steps onto the scene. She be, is the one to whom the, the book is named after, and is very fitting, for she turns out to be, in this case, the human star, not the ultimate star, but the human star of this whole account in the saving of the Jewish nation. Here's number two. Number two is uh, she was a very pretty girl, very pretty girl. She's beautiful. The text um, announces specifically about her. In verse 7, it says she had a lovely figure. She was beautiful. And not only was she understood as beautiful by those immediately around her, remember how big this whole realm of Xerxes was? Remember we talked last week about the size of the kingdom that it went from the edge of India all the way over to Egypt. And basically that was, if you remember, if you left California and you flew all the way across the United States to New Jersey, and of course you never want to land there. So you turn around and you start going back across and you stop somewhere near Kansas. 
If you stretch that out over one line, that is the length of the kingdom of Xerxes. It was massive. And so out of all of those provinces, 127 provinces, Esther is the one who stood out head and shoulders, most beautiful in all of the land. You imagine the statistics of how many other women were there. And this lady stood out all above all the women of the land. She's beautiful. Here's number three. Obviously, since I still have 28 minutes left, this is where we're spending most of our time. Her biggest choices were made for her. And boy, were they big, folks. Here's a few of them. Her parents died when she was young. Some people here might be thinking this, and I'm, I'm sure there's some young gals who might even be thinking, wow, she had everything going for her. I, you know, she was beautiful. She's going to be chosen as queen over Persia. I mean, I would love to be Esther. You know what? That may sound really neat, but if we could just step this back, you realize it wasn't all beautiful for Esther. Her parents passed away when she was a little girl. And there was probably at least one day and many in her life when she just cried and cried and cried when her security was yanked out from underneath her and she felt so all alone without father and mother. Many years ago, I was in the 5 and 10 in the town of Clyde, New York with my mother. 5 and 10, I, I, I heard that there was one around here it was called Benjamin's or something like that that went out of business last year, but... It's basically just a general store. And I remember being in the 5 and 10. And, um, and I was shopping with my mother. And there was always a little toy section I would go to. And I was checking it out. And, um, and then I remember looking around and no mom. And I just got this lump in my throat. And I looked over the next aisle, no mom. And I went over the other aisle, no mom. And I just, I just started to panic. And I started to cry. And I went up to the, the cashier's desk and she saw me and she says, can I help you? And I said, you know, I can't find my mom and I'm crying. And she's like, okay, now what's your name? I'm like, Brian. And she goes, okay, just a moment. And so you know what happens? She gets on the loudspeaker, you know, well, the mother of a young boy named Brian, please come up to the front of the store. He's here waiting for you. You know, and it took a couple minutes, and then here comes my mom, and she comes walking up, and I felt so much better that now she could um, get me and take me back to college. <laughs> so, uh, and if I was scared because I couldn't find my mom in the store, although she was still alive, can you imagine how scared Esther would have been going through the death of her parents? She didn't choose that, folks. She had no say in the matter. These are choices that were made for her. It just happened to her. It was totally out of her control. Here's another thing that was out of her control. is She went to live with her cousin Mordecai. She went to live with her cousin Mordecai, and there's some discussion... Is Mordecai her uncle or her cousin? And, and I think a lot of it's um, generated because of the age difference. It mentions that he brought her up 
in his home. And, and so some have thought maybe this is uncle instead of cousin. Well, just to, to walk you through it, um, the text does specifically mention this is cousin. It is cousin. And some people, because we look at our day and age and we think our cousins are near our age. Remember, this is a different day. And most of the families are very large families. And when you have large families, you know, I just thought about it for my family. Our Brielle, who's 21, you know, her future children are going to be a whole lot older than the future children of our Bryson, who is age five. And so it makes sense that a, a cousin from an older generation would be able to bring up one younger, even from a aunt or uncle's child, if you could follow all that relation right there. It makes total sense. And we're not certain of the age when she lost her parents or exactly when she went to live in her cousin's house, but this would have been the right thing to do. Family steps in, they grab a hold of this one who is now orphaned and they pull her in and they raise her, but you know, that wasn't her choice. And you realize she's living in a foreign country at this stage? So she's orphaned, she's with her cousin, she's in a foreign country, in a, in a foreign situation. And then this comes up, and look at this. So here she is losing her parents, living with her cousin in a foreign country, along comes this other thing. She didn't choose this. The king chose it. And the king says, this is a great idea. I want another queen. Let's go ahead and pull together all of the best of the best choice virgins from amongst my whole kingdom and bring them in, 400 of them. So imagine the insecurity that she must have felt in the situation she was in, then no longer even with her cousin, but along comes the king's people, and they take her, and the, the wording here, it mentions in verse 7, it says, she had a lovely figure, was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. That word for taken is the same exact one used a little bit later when she was taken, and that is in verse 8. Esther was also taken to the king's palace this was not of her will. It was not of her design. And friends, this was not a Miss America pageant. I know the VeggieTales version of the story shows it like, you know, she's putting on her makeup and, uh, but I'm, you know, gang. Esther was not an onion leek, and Mordecai was not a pea. <laughs> this was a tough situation. She had no choice. Hebrew tradition tells us the king took 400 of the most beautiful girls. He took them from their homes. They didn't have a say. This wasn't Miss America. It wasn't even The Bachelor. And as base and banal as that is becoming, although not explicitly stated, it certainly implied this process was not conducted in a moral environment. There was nothing in King Xerxes that would say, oh, he would have been 
moral and upright and pure with all of these women. Not the case. So here Esther's without family. She's in a foreign land. She's in the control of the king's attendants. There's nothing she could do about it. She was whisked away to the palace of a man who was volatile. He was violent. He was a man of extremes who just got rid of his first wife. And what was he going to do with her? These were the biggest choices of Esther's life. And she didn't make a one of them. You realize it? She did not make a one of them. She could do nothing about them. And from her perspective, losing her parents, now being taken to the king's harem, that would be enough to make anyone wonder, is God, is God really for me? Does God still care? Is God punishing me? What did I do to deserve this? I want to nudge our thinking this morning a little bit around the concepts of what we talk about as free will without getting too far out into the deep theological weeds. I know some feel very passionately about these discussions, and I know they can get a little crazy and deep. I don't want to go there. This is a really practical thing for us to think about. Would you walk this with me for a moment? Some view free will as though we are totally free agents, able to make whatever decisions we choose to make. But we may not be as free as we think we are. Let's talk about it for a moment. Some say, hey, I can choose to marry whomever I want to marry. Well, your will, I don't know if you know this, is affected by someone else's will. And with an attitude like that, I'm sure your choices for marriage are getting quite limited by now. Also, you can only marry people that are alive in our day and age. And you didn't choose who your options would be. Some people say, I choose to be a multimillionaire. Well, how's that working out for you, gang? Huh? Some people say, I choose to live to 100. I choose to have great health. I choose to have lots of children. I guess I did choose that one. But, um, but you know, some people can't. A choice is not available to them. And just, now that I got you thinking, let, let's just think about a little bit more. Let's conceptualize the biggest decisions of our lives. I mean, the most directional decisions of our lives. And most of them are made for us and we have nothing to do about it. Just think about this. How about the decision to be born? And I know enough about this whole baby thing. None of us chose this. We had absolutely nothing to do with the biggest decision ever. How about to whom we would be born? 
That is the most influential decision ever is the family in which you came, from which you get your DNA, who shapes you, and you didn't choose it. Or what about the era in which we would be born? Imagine if you were born during the Great Depression, and some in here might have been. Imagine if you were born before a cure of the appendectomy. Some of you may not be here right now. The time period in which you would be born, you didn't choose that. Or where you would be born. Imagine if you were born in Iran or Iraq or North Korea. And as I look at these things, I realize even beyond that, there's no, there's no choice that we had with our genes or our eye color or our height or hair color, natural giftedness, or personality. And, and you realize there's so many of the biggest things of our lives that before we even had the opportunity to make a choice, someone else made them for us. And they shaped everything about us. We all deal with many circumstances. And beyond our height, and our hair color, and our eye color, and our natural giftedness, beyond our parents, beyond all of those things, some of the toughest situations happen to us, and they are apart from our will. And this message today is for those who, who struggle with the why, who struggle putting together how does God fit into this? Has he forgotten me? Does he still love me? Is there hope for this? Can this all still turn out okay? And so Esther stuck with it. God used her extreme home situation to bring her to be the queen of Persia and to save millions of Jews, and not only to save millions of Jews, but ultimately, this, the line of the Messiah was preserved so that Jesus Christ would come to earth and would die on the cross because ultimately, Esther didn't just be in, instrumental in saving the Jews, folks. Esther was instrumental in our salvation, too. So if you're a mom or a dad or a kid, your single person, can I just connect with you for a moment? Can I really have a heart-to-heart -heart talk here for a second? Your home situation has been tough. If your marriage has been empty, if your finances are long gone, or your health is deteriorating, It's not what you would have chosen. I want to end with this today. I want to give you five things. Let me give you five thoughts to help you navigate through a tough time. I don't know all of the thought process with Esther, but some of these things can be gleaned from her personal account 
from how we saw her handle things. This isn't five ways to avoid bad things happening to you. That's impossible. But I want to give you five thoughts to help you navigate through tough times. This is critical, folks. So write these down with me. Here's, here's some thoughts for us. When we go through times, times that we didn't ask for, times that are decisions that are made for us, I want you to understand these. Number one, please never, never, ever forget this. God still loves you. Do you believe that? You know that? It's more than the verse reference that they put up between the goalposts at the football game. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. It's more than a doctrine, folks. It is reality. God loves you. Don't confuse your situation for God's affection for you. Don't say this is hard so God must no longer love me. This is difficult so you know what? God must not care about me. It couldn't be farther from the truth. He hasn't gone anywhere. He has never left you. He cares. He is not punishing you. And I love this. I just want to give this to you. It is, it's Romans 8. In Romans 8, and we've talked about some of these verses in the past, but verses 35 as well as 38 through 39, listen to these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, shall hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He just laid it all out there. He says, you know, the hardest times in life, can any of it separate us from God's love? And I just want to answer it for you here in these next verses, verse 38 on down to verse 39. It says, for I'm convinced, <clears throat> convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation. Basically, let me paraphrase, there is nothing, folks that can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. And the beauty of it, no matter what you are going through right now, no matter what you feel in your heart right now, again, God loves you. And that means he genuinely wants the best for you. He is for you. And nothing could ever hold that back, ever. That's number one. Here's number two. Oh, I love this. God can still use you to do great things for him. God can still use you to do great things for him. I'm sure Esther could have wondered, <clears throat> I'm an orphan kid. I'm a girl. I'm in a foreign country. What could I ever do for God here? Imagine those thoughts. And her account just blows us away with the reality that even though she is in the most oppressed scenario, God used her for the greatest things, for his glory. I want to share with you a verse. I don't know if we have it up here on the screen for us. It is um, from Jeremiah 29. Is that big enough for us all to read? How about we read it together? It's 
read it together. Jeremiah 29, 11. Here's, here's what it says. Read it with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope. Isn't that beautiful? No matter what you are going through now, God can still use you to do great things for him. Some of you say, Pastor, you don't realize I'm damaged goods. You don't know my past. Okay. Let me introduce you to a murderer named the Apostle Paul. I don't think you've done that. Let me introduce you to the son of a divorced person. That son's name is Brian Conover. Really, can God use me even though I'm divorced? Yeah. And plug your situation in, and folks, that doesn't mean, oh, God can no longer do anything. You're on the shelf. Wrong-o. And in fact, the very things that may be going on in your life right now may be very strategic on God's part to use you to further his kingdom and his glory down the road. God's plans are you for you are not the shelf. They are not retirement. Don't hang up your sneakers for him just because something bad happened. God can still use you to do great things for him. Here's the other ones. This is important for us to think about because this determines where we go in our spirit, in our future. And, and the next one is avoid bitterness. If you can remember that, a thought to help you to navigate through tough times, avoid bitterness. Don't let your attitude go sour. I understand what happens. I have been there personally when something out of my control happens, my expectations are dashed, and instantly I start to go through thoughts of who can I blame, and guess who the person I first blame? It's God. Why did you do this? I don't like this. This is causing problems. One person has said, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I'm ingesting something that really affects me. If you're mad at God, guess what? It doesn't change who God is. It changes who you are. If you're mad at the person who may have abused you, guess what? It's changing who you are. And bitterness is oftentimes the biggest obstacle to us doing God's will. And God just may have you in that very tough spot so that you can be a better person down the road. He may use your loss right now to help you do great things down the road. The pastor that preached at my um, ordination is a good friend of mine, and Mike got up there and preached this message. And I remember him talking about this man, and his job was given from God 
And God told him, I want you to push against this boulder. And this man thinking, that's a crazy thing. And so he got up there and he's, oh, he's pushing it. And he's pushing it and he's thinking, man, I wonder how far I need to push this. I can't even nudge it right now. And for days he would push and he would push and he'd go to bed that night and he'd think, maybe I can get it the next day. And he'd push and push and months went by and that's all he did was push against the rock and push against the rock. And after a while, he finally got so mad. He said, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? This is getting me nowhere. And figuratively, obviously, God said to him, you're mad at me? Sure I am. But why? Because this has not gotten anywhere. This boulder still sits exactly where it was three months ago. God said, I understand that. But look at your arms. Look how strong they are. Feel your grip and the tightness of it. Look at the man that you have become through this seemingly immovable situation. That was the whole plan all along. So no matter what we go through, folks, we need to avoid bitterness. Here's number four. Accept your situation is from God. You didn't choose it, so I guess someone else did, right? And if someone else did, obviously it's gone through God's hands one way or another. And if I, I like this, although you didn't choose it, it doesn't mean it's an accident. It may not have been a part of your purpose, but it may certainly be a part of God's purpose. And the one phrase that we mentioned from a few weeks ago, this is important to bring back, God never has a crisis, only a purpose. Accept your situations from God. Here's the last one. And truthfully, folks, if you can do this, you just might be a better person than Brian Conover. Because this is hard. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Do we have this one for us too? There it is. Would you say it with me? 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Here we go. Give thanks in, for this is God's will for you. There's one word in there I struggle with. Give thanks in, yeah, isn't that, that's, a, that's the hard word. Maybe if it said some, or in good, but in all. And so when we look at this, you wonder, I'm going through this tough time, what is God's will for me? To give thanks. How can, I, how can I give thanks through this? We can give thanks believing God is doing something good. We can give thanks knowing God still loves me. We can give thanks knowing that he is doing 
something. He is working right now. We may not like it, but he's doing something. We can give thanks, and here's a phrase I love. We can give thanks because providence is evidence that God is at work in our lives. And through the biggest challenges, we need to learn gratitude to God, even if we don't like it, because there is a divine, beautiful purpose through it. I don't think Esther was excited about losing her parents or about moving to Persia or being in her cousin's home or being whisked away into the palace. But in the end, she looked back and said, wow. Thank you, God. Thank you. So where are you at, friend? going through some tough stuff, out of your control. I didn't sign up for this. I know. I know. And I ache with you. I really do. But there's hope. God's not done. He has a plan. He loves you with crazy love. And I believe in the end, We'll look back and say, God, you are genius. Thank you. Thank you, God. I want to pray for you. And as I do, would you include your situation in that? Whatever it is you're going through, whatever questions you're feeling and having right now, whatever struggles that you may be working through, I want to pray for those right now. And would you express them to God in your heart as I do? Would you remember these five things? And you know, if ever you need to talk, your small group is a great place to bring this stuff up. A friend from church would be a great person to have coffee with to talk about this. And if you're absolutely desperate and can't find anyone else, well, you can call up your pastors too. I think we love you. How about you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, we are a room of, of friends, family that are walking down a road we have never walked. Our next step is unknown. And we are dealing with scenarios, God, that we did not sign up for. And I think I speak for all of us. We don't dare walk down this road alone. God, we need you. We need to know that you love us, that you have a plan, that this is not the end, that there is hope. Give it to us, God. Give us a sense of your presence love, of your unfailing passion for our good and for your glory. So help 
a friend in here who's dealing with a marriage challenge, parents that are pulling their hair out trying to figure out things with their kids, the person who's dealing with their checkbook because it's not cooperating, or the person working through with the doctor, the loss of job, the guilt from the past, the abusive situation. God, put it all in your capable hands. And give us a touch from Almighty. Help us to hope in you, to know you have a plan and a purpose, not to harm, but to prosper. God, we trust you. We love you. And all these may said. I'm going to finish with a word for you, um, but before I do, you know, we have a church uh, meeting right after this, and we'd love for you to be part of it, whether you're a member or non-member, but we need members because we're voting on our budget. But this isn't just going to be business. This is just going to be about a 20-minute celebration of God's goodness to us, and uh, I invite you to hang around. If you have kids in our children's ministries, please get them before the meeting. Or we may vote you out of membership during the meeting. And, uh, and if you're a member or whatever and you're attending it up in the balcony, come on down with us down here. It makes it easier for us to do our counting and stuff like that. So uh, please do that. Here's what I got for you. And then you'll finish and leave with God's blessing. You can't always choose your circumstances. But you can choose to trust the one who is ultimately in control of your circumstances. And you can choose to be used for him through your circumstances. So true. God used you to be a blessing no matter what you're going through. You'll make a difference for him and his kingdom. See you in a minute in our meeting. Blessings.